did the least likely thing to inspire gratitude the day before Thanksgiving. I thought it would be a really great idea to go to Costco when it opens. Here's what I was holding out for. I was smiling internally because Larry and I were operating with a little bit of a, of a guessing game going on about how many people would be standing at the door at 9.55 waiting for it to be open. And honestly, I was really hoping for a great opening picture for the sermon today. So anybody want to guess how many people were standing at the door when it opened? None. Do you, when I pulled in, the parking lot was half full. I get to the door at 9.45 and no one's waiting. You know why? Because the employees were anticipating a battleground at Costco. And they made their lives easier <laughs> by opening the doors at 9.15. And there was really, they didn't tell anybody, you know, it wasn't posted online. So the battle at Costco did not begin until 10.05 a.m. in the refrigerated aisles in the back. You know, you know where I'm talking about where it gets tight, right? It's like when the masses just like moved in, right? That's all right. That's, we're talking battle today. We're talking battle. And I think we are in a mindset that our battle is an external battle. We're battling against people for the things that we don't have. And there is nothing like the holidays to pump up your adrenaline to make you believe this is the case. Amazon flash sales, anybody watching any? 97% gone. You better get on it. Do you know what I mean? Larry's like, we got to get to the tree lot. I know it's raining today, but we got to get out there while the best ones are still out in the field. You know what I'm saying? Right? We can laugh. That's all right. But I, I honestly believe that there's a, there's a twofold battle that's actually going on that's not an external one, but that's an internal one. And it is very real. And I'm hoping that I can get us from out here in holiday crazy into what's really going on underneath. And our real battles are a battle for, about scarcity and a battle about ourselves. We're in an internal battle against scarcity. There's only so many trees out in the, in the lot, right? We got to get out there. And we're in a battle for self. My best life involves pumpkin pie and the case at Costco, and they might run out, right? But those are not real battles. There actually is a real internal battle going on. And this sure sign of victory is peace. That's when we know that the battle is won. And so if you're going to adopt a Christian worldview, if you're going to adopt the way of following Jesus, if you're going to find the way, the truth, and the life that Jesus offers, then I'm going to let you in on the battle plan. If you want peace, you're going to have to fight. But not in the ways of the world. It's an internal fight that's equipped mostly through the practice of prayer. And it's not something we do on our own. It's something we do in community through the church. We've been in a sermon series defining church. We're at the end of Ephesians chapter 6. And this is where Paul lays out his battle plan. And it's where he calls the church to be defined by prayer. The purpose being that the experience of the victory of peace, we use the word shalom here at Kitsap House, the, the whole being multifaceted aspect of God's peace, so that God's peace would be experienced not only by us, but through us 
to the world. So that's what we're after. So let's dive in to Ephesians and let's finish it out today. Ephesians chapter 6. I'm going to begin reading with verse 10. And I'm reading from the ESV today. Finally, he says, last word, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. I'm going to say this is the word of the Lord, and I invite you to say thanks be to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray. Lord, um, don't let me get extra feisty. Let me stay right on, um, right on task with you, right on theme with you, right in the heart of what you want for us, for the church. We ask for the strength of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. We are not actually battling other people for stuff at Costco. That's not actually what this world is about. We are battling an internal battle for our posture against Satan. Wow, that's going to make a lot of people tune out just right there, right? Because this is just weird. Like this is not where our world goes today. Um, so if you're, if you're already like, wow. This is what I showed up for. Just stick with me here because I actually think one of the greatest deceits that is out in the world today is the idea of a devil with a red pitchfork, right? Because if, if, our, if our deceiver, if our accuser can get us to believe that evil is an outdated cartoon that's worth laughing at, then he's already won, right? And so I, I actually want us um, to get into the historical uh, experience of what evil is personified, what evil looks like, and see if that relates in any way um, to how we interact with scarcity and self. So where we're coming from in, in describing evil is not a cartoon. We're actually coming from like the second-ish page of scripture where we have our first experience with evil. And evil comes in the form of a liar who wants people to believe in scarcity and in the power of themselves. This is what the liar comes and says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. The, the accuser, the serpent, um, I really appreciate Tim Mackey's work on this, if you think, if you like, want to toe in, but if you want to deep dive, he calls, um, he talks about the Satan, the accuser. Um, the accuser is, uh, says to the women, woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? This is the source of evil. This is the source of the deceit. The question, did God really say? And it is still the battleground that we fight on today. So track with me here. Did God really say? Well, this is what he really said in Genesis chapter 1, just, just a page before. Verse 29, God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. 
and to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. Then a little bit later, he talks specifically to the man and the woman, and God commands the man, this is um, Genesis chapter 2, verse 16, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. What word did you hear a lot? Every, all, everything. Our God set up a world of incredible abundance. All the things for the people. And then he set out just this one exception to the rule, right? Except for this one tree. But it begins with everything. So when the accuser comes to the woman and says, did God really say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? What's the answer? No, that's not what he said. But Eve plays along with this deception, goes so quickly to scarcity. Her response is actually, we may eat of the trees, in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Okay, when Eve repeats that back, God sounds a bit like a rule enforcer, doesn't he? He already sounds a bit like a bad guy. And the accusers got it hooked, so he doubles down. He knows exactly what he's going for here. He's going after a deception, just a twist of what's really true. He says, oh, you shall not surely die. He's calling God a liar. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and then you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now he's calling God out for being prideful. He doesn't attack the situation. He attacks the character of God through deceit, causing Eve to question God's character. Can she trust him? Did God really say? And all of a sudden, the verses, the life in the garden, the experience of God's abundance gets turned in on itself to, oh, there's this one thing I can't do, and can I really trust him? And maybe God is vying for his place, and maybe he is withholding from me. And she starts spinning on this deceit of scarcity. She starts spinning in this idea of this call to self. God didn't was not withholding the knowledge of good and evil. Don't you think he wanted his people to know that? But he expected them, the plan from the garden was out of a life of abundance, out of a life with God, you would learn and grow in the knowledge of good and evil. You would get it out of your relationship with God. But planted in the garden was a choice. A choice to get that on your own. I'm going to call that from now on the religion of self is your option from the garden. And because of the work of the accuser, Eve began to believe God's holding out on me and I might be better off on my own. So, does that have anything to do with us today? 
I don't know, let's just think about Thanksgiving for a second. This whole day dedicated to gratitude and the abundance of food and company. And then how many of you were like me on Thursday night? What were you doing on Thursday night on the couch on your phone? Oh, I was shopping for the one thing I didn't have. It was on sale. I was going to miss it, right? The strike a little too close to home. You can't laugh about that. We're like too much in the same boat, right? Or what about the knowledge that we want? Are we going for it on our own terms? Do we want wealth on our own terms? Sex on our own terms? Our career path on our own terms? Are we not wild by the same ways of Satan? I think the voice of evil knew how much we would crave life on our own terms. How enslaved we would be to scarcity. Which is why he hasn't had to try anything new. Eve bought into it, and so do we. Did God really say, is his life for me really abundant? Friends, don't be deceived. The church is not in a battle for politics or money. That's not the biggest thing that we've got on our plate right now. We've got an internal battle against scarcity and self that's being led by the chief deceiver. And so God has equipped us for this battle, not with external things, but with internal armor, so that we would be ready to stand firm. The aim that we're after is to go back to this garden moment. We want life in abundance. We want the perspective that God has given us everything. That the boundaries that he set up for us are for our good. To keep us with him, learning and growing with him. So let's, let's armor up and let's get ready for this battle. I, um, I really appreciate, I, I'm just going to give a lot of credit to Eugene Peterson. He has a great book called Practicing Resurrection. If you haven't gotten enough of Ephesians, uh, go pick this one up. But he's the one who points out to us that the weapons that God gives us are internal. He gives us to battle scarcity and self that leads to so much anxiety and competition and disruption in our world. He gives us truth, righteousness, peace, salvation, faith, and the word of God. So listen for those things as I continue reading in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and his shoes for your feet, having put on readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can distinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. This is God's armor. God's letting us into his armory to get the most formidable weapons that he's got. And they're weapons that when God came in the person of Jesus, he carried beautifully and perfectly. If you want to see what this life looks like, just go read about the story of Jesus. He wore effortlessly truth and righteousness and peace and salvation and faith and the word of God. I've got a little beef with Paul here. I think he's missing a weapon. It's the personal weapon that I find really pushes back despair. And I'm picking this up from... My favorite superhero movie, which is Wonder Woman. 
Don't be too surprised. She's got the most amazing armor. She has these like wristbands that when she puts them together, like, like create this boom, this like bomb of energy that just explodes all the evil people in front of her, right? So I'm calling this my joy bomb. So I'm just taking a little extra out of the armory. I don't blame Paul. Wonder Woman wasn't around yet. So accepting that, I'm so here for the armor of God and the power that it gives us against the, the schemes of the evil one. Lucky he is not crafty, guys. He's got the same battle. We can learn to fight this. But here's where I think I've been falling down on the job. This is where I get stuck with the armor of God. If you're new to the Bible or if you're new to church, let me just let you in on something. This is one of the first passages that they train you in when you're learning how to pray. There's like children's drawings, like of the different pieces of armor. You know, there's coloring sheets. I'm sure there's a song. I don't know it, but I'm sure it's out there. And um, we, like I learned to memorize it, to stand in front of a mirror and to put on, there's the belt of truth, there's the feet swift of the gospel of peace, like that kind of thing, okay? But I, I've, I've struggled with this passage, and here's why I actually think I had a breakthrough in studying it this time. I try really hard to carry God's armor. I try really hard. So I try to learn the word of God so that I'm, I can go with the spirit in whatever moment, right? Like, I try to have enough faith that, like, holds up, but dang, that thing in the church planning life, that thing gets heavy, you know? I try to be the gospel of peace in, a, in conflicts between people, but, like, turns out I'm not the savior in most cases. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just hard. So I've been really grateful. I've been getting a lot of insight um, through one of the old Bible stories that I, I think God paired studying this with the study that I did for my own sake while I was on vacation a couple weeks ago when I was back in this ancient story that Paul would have known because every boy, every little boy who studies the Bible, this is his favorite story. What story is it? David and Goliath. So David's a 12-year-old scrawny shepherd boy who's the only guy with the guts to stand up against the giant of the Philistines who taunts the people of God every day with how pitiful their God is. So when the 12-year-old gets to the battlefield and hears what's going on, he's like, uh-uh-uh, no, not, not my God. I know you're not talking about my God. I've taken down a lion with a slingshot against the sheep. I'm pretty sure I could take this guy down. And he's taunting God. So I got that going for me. Pretty sure he's going to show up for me, right? So he goes. Here's the thing. He goes to tell the king he's going to do it. And the king doesn't think David can do it. So the king lets David into his armory and says, try it all on, because you're going to need something more than you got to go up against this guy, right? I love this passage. It says David tries on the armor, and then it says, in vain he went to leave, because he couldn't move in God's armor. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it was in the, in the king's armor. It was too heavy, and he couldn't wear it. So he tried in vain. He tried to put on the armor of God, and it was too heavy heavy. You with me? Okay. I think Jesus knew this passage, David's story, when he came to tell us how to live against the anxieties of the world, right? It's the passage Larry read for us today. 
Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, right? And then he says, I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting upon you. What do you think he's talking about? I'm just going to... I think he's talking about armor, guys. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting upon you. Come to me. Walk with me. And I'll teach you. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Um, gosh, who was the, What was the pastor, Larry? You taught me that one. Anyway, I'll come to me later. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. This way of walking with Jesus. Um walking his way. We don't have to try to take on the armor of God. Why don't we have to try? Verse 10. Verse 10 is the key. He started with, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Jesus carried this armor perfectly, and he's still strong enough to do it. You don't have to try to put on his armor. You have to learn to walk in the strength of his might. So what's the difference between trying to wear his armor and taking up his armor? I'm going to try this. Hey, I, Larry, you know, you know my life. Okay. I'm worn out. <laughs> But I'm going to stand firm. Go ahead. Try to push me over. Try to push me over. No, stop it. I'm standing firm. Try again. No, no, no. Shoot. Okay. Okay. I really can't stand up against him. Okay. Let's try something else. I can't try. Oh, God, I really thought I was going to try a little bit. Okay. So I want you to come and stand behind me. And I want you to, like, really grip me. Let me, no, like, really grip me. You're my, you're my husband. Okay. <laughs> Let me stand strong in the strength of your might. Okay. Jamie, come try to push me over. Okay. Oh! <laughs> Thank you. Okay, I was actually getting pushed over. My feet were up off the ground. I was back on my heels, but I wasn't falling over. Why? Because I was in the strength of his might, right? Okay. We... What, um, there, uh, there's a group here that played on Thanksgiving a game that I love to play. I call it the fishbowl game. I don't know what it's actually called, but you throw phrases in. And Cindy, what was the word that somebody froze in about society? Societal collapse. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> right? There is plenty to cause us anxiety. Anxiety, medication prescriptions are on the rise. Larry's a counselor, and he's been telling me about that. We are anxious. Man, because we're trying. We are trying so stinking hard. But Jesus has extended to us a different kind of invitation. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. There's no power class for this. It is a, a life in a steady direction toward Jesus where we take up his armor. So we're going to take up, take up the armor of God. What does this look like? This is what it looked for me last night. Don't you love when God's like, oh, did you want to preach this? How about we learn it? <laughs> Thank 
you. I so appreciate that. Okay, middle of the night, first thing I wake up thinking about is I didn't put water in the Christmas tree. <laughs> we are real tree people and that thing's been thirsty that's my first thought okay so luckily because this is something I'm very practiced in I had post-it notes on the side of my bed and I could lean over and write put water in the tree and then the second thought was you didn't order enough tortillas that's right tortillas okay on the grocery list that's fine right but then it starts devolving pretty quick right <laughs> okay thank you the conflict I need to step into, somebody, the person whose feelings I'm pretty sure were hurt, like on and on and on, right? And I just start going down this death spiral. If you don't know this death spiral, God bless you. Okay. Um, but then I remembered what I was going to preach today. This is so helpful. And I started arming up the belt of truth. Lord, you center me in who you are and who I am. You're actually the God who doesn't slumber nor sleep, so I can dwell in safety, right? Okay, that's who I am. The breastplate of righteousness. You know, I probably did hurt their feelings. Lord, would you forgive me? Because the breastplate of righteousness is God's holiness, not mine. So there's a divine exchange that he is always open to, where he takes your sin, and he gives you his clothing of righteousness. So I, I moved out of a shame place. Feet swift with the gospel of peace. Lord, I know that conflict's going to be a big one, but you know what? You're already ahead of me because you are the prince of peace and you go on before us. So you're already working peace there. And when I get there, I'm just, I'm just entering in. Actually paused and prayed over that, that I would participate. Prayer is participating with God in the work he's going to do. So I went ahead and prayed over that. I mean, I went through the whole thing. Helmet of salvation. I know I'm saved. I got to talk with all of my family who does not know the Lord over Thanksgiving just could start naming them because is their salvation dependent upon me or the good word I've got? Absolutely not. He is the one of salvation, right? So I got that secure. My, my mind is set and clear. I took up the shield of faith. It's too strong for me, but it's not too strong for the Lord. I can go back through all the stories of what God has done and that just feels lighter and lighter and lighter because I'm not trying. I'm in his might. I'm in his faith. And then I've got the word of God and then suddenly my brain is open and I can just, the promises of God can just start pouring out as I go against the deceiver who had convinced me, did God really say, this is your job, this is who you are? You're out of things, absolutely not. That's not who we are in Christ. This is how Paul ends this armor of God. Point of clarification. We've been going through Ephesians, and how often have I pointed out that when he says you, it's in the plural, not in the singular, right? There are a cool couple instances where, where it's singular, but for the most part, when Paul's instructing you, he's instructing us, okay? That's the take up the armor of God. That's plural. All y'all together are taking up the armor of God. So he's giving us this final image for the church where he's going, this is what it looks like for y'all to stand up in a world of societal collapse. Armor up. Stand in the strength of his might. Stand strong. This thing is not going down. This is not a sinking ship. We are standing firm. And here's what we're going to do about it. Verse 18. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel 
for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. How often are we praying? All the time, with all the things, for all the people. This is what we can do. This is the final way the church is defined. The church is not defined by what we are against. We are not defined by the one limitation that was the boundary that God set up to be in relationship with him. We are defined by everything that God gave us in all of the world to everything that has breath. We are defined by a world of abundance in which we are called to walk with him for the sake of shalom for all the world. We are a church, not for ourselves, we are a church for our neighbors. We're a church for the world, seeking God's shalom, his peace in our neighborhoods. How are we doing that? Well, we did a whole series on how we're active in our seeking of shalom and our work and how we bless our families and the career paths we choose for the sake of the world, all the things, okay? And all the time as we're going, we're praying in all the ways, at all times in the spirit, with all prayer and supplication. I'm so glad Paul decided to end his Ephesians here because it works so well for me going into Advent. Because Advent is a waiting season. It's hunting season right now. What are we hunting for in the world? Deer. I know this because I'm a gardener. It's deer season. In the sports world, what season is it? Football or football. Both, depending on who you root for. Okay? It's football season. In the church, what season is it? It's waiting season. It's Advent season. You can be as excited about it as I am because waiting involves prayer and expectation. When God's people, before Jesus came into the world, practiced Advent, practiced waiting, they read Isaiah and Jeremiah and the scrolls and reminded one another about the Messiah that they were waiting for. When Jesus comes, from that point forward, the Jesus community is practicing the waiting for Jesus' second return. He's coming back. And this time when he comes back, he's not taking us out of here. He is recreating a new heavens and a new earth where the societal collapse is undone and everything is restored. And we are waiting for that with tremendous longing. I love waiting season. Like, let's go, right? How's that for a paradox? Waiting, let's go, right? I'm here for all the things. It's waiting season. If you were to Google right now, Advent 2022, what you would discover is that I did not make this up, okay? Advent is a global phenomenon around the world of people who are pressing in to the season of waiting. And the best way that we can press into the season of waiting is in prayer. And in prayer together, talking to God. This doesn't mean that you're always on your knees or you're always reciting the Lord's Prayer. I don't know if you experienced this. I don't know if I could have said this five years ago, but I've become aware that there is a difference when I'm talking to you and God is in the conversation and when I'm talking to you and he's not. And that's internal because our battle is internal and our, our life with God is predominantly internal unless we're relating with one another. It's just a holy, cool mystery thing. But there is a way to pray at all times where you're consciously engaging God in your conversation with your neighbor. Like when somebody walks up to the front door and you're like, oh, God, that's cool that you sent them. And then all of a sudden, God's in that conversation. If you, I don't know that I have the words for that yet. So 
Um, if you want to ask me more about that, maybe you can help me verbally process to get to the words. But I even know when I'm praying and I said, Father, and I'm like, whether I'm doing that publicly or at home, there's a difference. When I am aiming that, those words to a being that I'm expecting to respond to me and when I'm just performing the prayer. Is that too vulnerable? Can you guys handle that? So praying at all times just means you're keeping God in the conversation all the time. And we as a church, we want to be defined by prayer all the time. We want Kitsap House to be defined as a praying church. A, pray, a church that seeks the shalom of God. The ultimate sign of victory is peace. And we believe that victory has already been won in the person of Jesus. He has already fully accessed the armor of God. He is truth. He is righteousness. He is peace. He is faith. He is the spirit, the word of God. And when we engage him, we are engaging against the accuser. We are, we are ridding the world of scarcity and the religion of self. How cool is that? It's that big on a meta level, and it's that small in that next conversation that you have. God is there and wants to be part of it. So we enter Advent not reaching for what we don't have. We enter Advent standing firm. We've got the strength of Jesus within us that we can stand strong, not because we don't fall back, but because we are not cast headlong, as the psalm says. Keep alert with all perseverance. We're going to keep alert with all perseverance. Larry already referenced that we're going to do a week of 24-7 prayer. And I'll unfold for you as the weeks come why that winter solstice date, that, that December 21st, has been such a significant date for Kitsap House to keep alert with all perseverance. But I'm, I'm, leaning, I'm leaning full bore into God on this one this year. So we're going we're gonna to practice praying the risk is that all we do go, is go home and try harder. That's the big risk. Like a, like a bunch of 19-year-olds who are taught to stand in front of the mirror and armor up, and then if you end up in a prayer battle that's too big for you, somebody asks you, oh, well, did you put on the armor of God? It actually happened to me once, and I was like, I didn't. It's my fault. No. No. We don't have a God that asks us to try harder. We, ask, we have a God who asks us to walk with him. We have a God who painted a picture of life where everything is abundant. Everything is given to everything that has breath for their life and sustaining. And the things that are ours to have, that God's put up boundaries around, are so that we would learn those things with him instead. And so as our kids come in, what I want you to reflect on is not where you've been falling short in prayer, for goodness sake, for goodness sake. <laughs> what I want you to reflect on is where has the, the burden been too heavy? Where have you been trying? What have you been trying to pick up? And it's not working. And after you've given that some time, I want to invite you to picture as Larry stood behind me 
Picture Jesus within you. He's not your co-pilot, okay? He's within you. And what does it look like to stand firm? And maybe give him that moment, um, that give him that relationship that's feeling too hard, too heavy. Give him that, um, that thing you feel like you're trying too hard about. Let God speak grace to you. You have been listening to a Kitsap House podcast. We are located in Port Orchard, Washington with in-person worship every Sunday. For more information, go online to kitsaphouse.org. Don't forget to subscribe and tell a friend. Thank you and God bless.